Whenever you're reading a passage from scripture, it's often interesting to ask what came just before and maybe what came after. When the scripture was put together, those who compiled the sayings of Jesus or retold the stories, they often wanted you to see things in light of other things. And so this morning when we get the reading where the apostles are speaking to Jesus and asking him to give them the gift of increased faith, it's interesting to wonder what happened immediately before. So here's what it is. The minute before Jesus was offering a teaching, and of all things, what he was teaching them about was forgiveness. And he didn't just tell them that they ought to forgive, but he said, when somebody offends you seven times a day, and they repent and ask for forgiveness seven times a day, you are meant to forgive them seven times a day. A hard teaching. And immediately, the apostles follow up with that question, Lord, increase our faith. You can imagine what they were probably thinking was to live this way, the way that Jesus is asking us to be, to follow him, takes a lot of faith, and we need more of it. And then interestingly, Jesus doesn't actually answer their question. He doesn't say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. But he says something about faith. He says to them, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, well, stop right there, actually. That's the first part of his answer. And I can imagine what they might have already been thinking at that point. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, don't you think the apostles were probably saying, he's telling us we don't have faith, even the size of the tiniest little mustard seed. They might have felt offended by that. But Jesus continues on and says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you would be able to say to a mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would do as you say. So the point that Jesus is making is that when it comes to faith, it's not about quantity, but about quality. I always felt that this was actually a hopeful passage. I remember really at an early age, my mother telling me about this and pulling out a mustard seed and showing me how small a mustard seed was and thinking in an encouraged way, I think I could have that much faith. Hopefully it's encouraging to us, but not to water that down either because faith, even such a small amount, is powerful. And I think with the, with the apostles and the disciples, when we read about them, we realize often they had faith, but it was thin. Jesus is asking for faith on a high order. I have a dear friend who's back in California, a young woman who is the head of a preschool, Montessori Episcopal Preschool attached to an Episcopal church. And she is one of these people who is spiritually gifted. She's just been gifted to wonder and to explore and to grow um, in her faith journey wherever she goes. But she started out in a mainline denomination as a child, and as she grew older, she started to explore beyond. But in more recent years, she came back to the church and specifically to an Episcopal parish, and she's now an Episcopalian, finding uh, great value being in a community with other people as they grow together in faith. 
And she wrote something recently that she wanted to share with me, and she sent it. I, I got it this week. She was talking about the many people that she encounters as a preschool teacher, young parents, people a little bit younger than my age. And she said that many of them are struggling, and one of the things that they're struggling with is that they have lost faith in faith. They have lost faith in faith. That phrase stopped me in my tracks, partly because I've seen it. And you can understand why people have lost faith in faith when you see that many people who speak about faith most loudly sometimes are the very people who show so little of it in their lives. People are losing faith in many things now, in institutions and in all sorts of things that we used to just come to take for granted and expect. But even faith has become a casualty of that. You know, the church began with a purpose of building up faith, of spreading love, of walking in the way of Jesus. But then as happens over time with, with people, it became an institution built around those things. And then what happens with institutions, unfortunately, is that institutions tend to have a purpose, which is to support the institution. Institutional survival becomes the purpose as opposed to the original mission. But it's an opportunity for us constantly to come back, to return to why we were here in the first place and what is life-giving as the foundation of this institution. You know, I've observed with Christian churches, with denominations, not like I think you could say this about every denomination within Christianity. Churches have a, a big problem, which is that they are plagued with people. <laughs> and yet, at the same time, one of the greatest blessings that churches have are people. When I was a kid, my family went to church every Sunday. We didn't think about it. It wasn't about guilt. We didn't go out of guilt, we, nor did we go to get brownie points. We just went, period. And when we went, and we encountered the other people there over the course of the ups and the downs of our lives, well, I remember fondly many good experiences in church. I remember acolyting. I remember teachings. I remember a few sermons. I definitely remember the wonder and the beauty and inspiration of worship, especially Christmas time. But what I remember most fondly, and I, what I remember most helping me as I grew in faith, it was the people. And being with others and walking the journey with other people as we help each other to grow. Speaking of the reality that human beings are part of our religions, um, this, this is the best I can do for a, a transition. This is not so smooth, but I have to say something about the psalm, so here we go. <laughs> Did you notice the psalm, the last verse? Um, often in the lectionary, the last verse gets cut off. The whole beginning of the psalm is so beautiful, and then that last part catches us off guard. The part about the... Uh, happy is the one who smashes the children of our enemies against the rock. Well, I'm not going to leave that out. 
the Bible that we have is an inspired book, inspired by God and also coming through humankind. And if you read the full Bible, if you read not just the polite parts we get in the lectionary, but you read everything that's there, you will find great beauty and inspiration and challenge and also some things that are hard to read. You can go through the Psalms from start to finish all the way through. You get the full breadth of the human experience, even including what we just had sung so beautifully at the very end of our psalm. Imagine the writer who put that to music. It's important, I believe, when we read the Bible to take the whole book into account. I think it's dangerous if you take just a snippet and you have it in isolation of the totality. There is a total arc and a bigger story. And sometimes it's kind of like with music where you need some discord in order to make the harmony and the resolve what it is. It's also something I can say about this particular passage. I, I heard a monk talk about it one time. He is a monk from the Society of St. John the Evangelist, which is an Episcopal monastic community up in Massachusetts. And what they do, actually, they pray the Psalms every day, multiple times a day, in such a way that they go from Psalm 1 all the way to Psalm 150. I believe he said every single week they pray through every word of all the Psalms. So that means they pray this verse on a regular basis, and they have a lot of opportunity to think about it in the middle of their worship. And he said, he has come to pray that psalm with the intention of whatever it is that is opposing your liberation, whatever it is that is oppressing you, that those forces that draw you away from where you are meant to be, whatever you might call evil, it's a prayer to end it before it gets started. And I hope that might be helpful to you. Well, back to the gospel reading, the immediate thing that Jesus says after that first part about faith the size of a mustard seed, he goes on and immediately talks about service. He talks about the role of servants and then when you are called to serve. And it seems almost like it doesn't fit with what has just gone, except for that when you do have faith come into your life, and change you, inform you. One of the responses that happens naturally is to serve. And I'm very mindful every day in this city that is my new home that there is service happening all around us. People putting themselves not first, but holding back their interests so that they can serve others and serve causes that they believe are bigger than them. And service is holy work. We're all called to serve. And the point of what Jesus teaches here is that service is not for getting a reward. Real service is reward itself. And that's what we are called to live into. And so I pray for this community which does get service and does respond with a heart of service that we may respond to the call to be a place where we nurture one another in our growing in faith and that we could be there for those who have lost faith in faith. And that together as we grow, we will see that by our faith, the impossible will become possible. In Christ's name, amen.